Well, go ahead and turn in your Bibles tonight, if you would, to the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter, I mean, we are in chapter 1, verse 1. We introduced the book upstairs last Wednesday night, so you're not going to get a real big introduction. I'll say a few statements to help us get started, but we're going to get right into the beginning of this book. First of all, though, there was a couple who had a cat. And the woman loved the cat, and her husband hated the cat. Oh boy. That cat left hair all over the house, and it drove him crazy. The wife decided to go on vacation with a few friends, And she asked her husband to take care of the cat while she was gone. Now, he didn't like the cat when she was at home. So you can imagine what it was like after she left. He took the cat down to a local dock and he put that cat on a boat and watched that cat start drifting off, rejoicing because he was never going to see the cat again. The wife came home from vacation and looked around and couldn't find her cat and asked about the cat. And the husband said, the cat is gone and I don't know where it is. And there was truth in that. Okay. So she's distraught. She's a little unhappy. Um, He happily helped her look for the cat for three weeks. Find the cat. When he saw how torn she was over the cat, he said, honey, I love you very much. And I know that this cat is worth maybe a hundred dollars, but I love you so much that I'm going to put out a reward, a five thousand dollar reward for your cat because I love you. And she said, you really love and appreciate me. This just shows it right here. I can't believe this. This is so wonderful how much love you have for me that you would shell out all of that money just to find my cat. And so he put an ad in the paper and he put up signs offering a $5,000 reward. A friend of the man's came across this reward and saw it and went to the man and said, Are you really going to pay a $5,000 reward for this cat? Are you seriously going to do that? The husband replied, you have to understand, when you know what I know, no investment is too much here. And when you know about your future... And what it holds for you. 
when you know that you are going to be welcomed home to heaven one day, when you know that everything on earth is going to be burned up, it's all going to be gone, and we are here just for a, for a season, it changes our attitude about a lot of things. And it changes the investments that we will make in this life. You know, the unsaved, they think it's about this life only. But they don't know about the Christian's eternity. They don't know that what Peter knew. What Peter knew and that every Christian can know and should know. That no investment for heaven is too much. Now, as we... Enter the book of First Peter. We have Peter who is the writer. And who is he writing to? He's writing to the strangers that are scattered abroad throughout the five Roman provinces that you find here in the first verse of this book. They are scattered because of persecution. You know, they are hurting and they are suffering. And here, Peter is appointed to write to them. What do you say to someone, to a Christian, who is hurting and suffering for the cause of Jesus Christ? They are being ridiculed and they are being persecuted for Jesus. These Christians are that are being written to. Here they are, they are scattered off in places that they wouldn't normally be. They are hiding for safety. They are hiding to worship. They are slipping off anywhere they can to make a coin to be able to get food for their hiding family who's starving. Imagine all of the situations that they can be in. Imagine the emotional attack on the lives of these Christians who are suffering. Imagine the fear, the uncertainty the anxiety, the insecurity, and the distress and the concern that these Christians are going through. What do you write to them? What do you say to them? Because they're experiencing suffering and they're going to continue to experience suffering for a while. And they want to be able to experience security. What word do we have for them? I don't I'm not saying that I will just not be so overwhelmed with their suffering that I would just have the right word to say to them. And I don't think Peter does either. But the Lord does. This God-breathed word, God used Peter, but it's the Lord's word. So it's something for you and I to really embrace. Because this entire book of 1 Peter is about suffering. So what do the, does the Lord have to say, not only to these Christians scattered abroad, but what does He have to say? What is His remedy, the Creator of the universe, the Creator of you, what does he have to say for those who are struggling, going through hard times? It's real simple. 
We're going to look at the first five verses. And what I'd like to break down here is know you're saved. And know that the Lord loves and cares for you at all times. Know your hope. When I say no, you're saved, I'm not talking about for the, the one who may be doubting or questioning salvation. I'm talking about the one who knows they're saved to meditate on what you have, to meditate on who you are, on knowing what is coming for you. Know that you're going to heaven. Look. Where our mind goes in the midst of misery is very, very important. So, God has a word for the Christians in the midst of suffering. Know you're going to heaven, verses 1 and 2. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you, and peace be multiplied." We introduced the writer Peter last week and who he's writing to. These Christians scattered abroad. These Christians who are dispersed in five different provinces. And the first thing is he calls them strangers. And there's no, there's no doubt they are in an area that they wouldn't normally be in. They are strangers to the immediate a land that they are in. But there is a deeper understanding of this word strangers for the Christian because our citizenship truly, ultimately, is not on this earth. Our citizenship is in heaven. A song that I've probably quoted through sermons more than any other song is, this world is not our home. We're just a passing through. And he's reminding them that they are here for a temporary period of time with that one name that he is calling God saved people. He's calling them strangers, strangers upon this earth. Their home is in heaven. He's calling them God's people. God's people are strangers here. And, and so they need to know and think about the fact that they are God's people. They are immediately reminded that though they are scattered, they belong, they belong to the Savior, Jesus Christ. They are not dwelling in the land of their citizenship because they are citizens of heaven. They are hurting here, but they are outside of their permanent home. They are hurting in a place that is temporary. And, and what what is eternal and where they're going to be for eternal, they will not be hurting there. They're citizens of heaven. You know, Christians aren't to get comfortable in this world anyway. 
We're not to, to make our seat too cozy here very long because we are not here very long. The Christian ought to be desiring their permanent home. My wife has tried to adjust me to start getting used to vacations. Uh, never had them when I was a kid. I was the third one to come along and mom and dad just couldn't afford it with, with the five of us all together. And that's my sad, soppy story. Cry for me if you want. But, but Shelly has started saying, it's okay to take a vacation. And, and I got to where, uh, I'm okay with vacation and I like going on vacation. But I'll be honest with you. I like coming home even more. I do. When I get here, it is so good to be home. It is, I, I can relax. It's, I, I just can't wait to get home. And this isn't even home. The Christian has a desire in them for home. And home ought to be on their mind and home ought to overwhelm their heart. And no matter what the Christian is going through, they're not home. And one day, we are going to be home. He reminds them by calling them strangers that there's God, that they're God's people. Know you're saved. Know your home in heaven. But he not only calls them strangers, he calls them in the beginning of verse two, that first word there, he calls them the elect. And there is nothing wrong with that word elect. There are, there are some that believe in in Calvinism, or those that misunderstand predestination, understand that God has not made anyone for destruction. God is not a fatalist. There are some who believe that those who are saved are who God chose to be saved, and those who weren't saved are who God chose not to be saved. And unfortunately, well, well, fortunately, that is not the truth. Unfortunate for them, they, they are wrong in what they believe. Look, though they, though these Christians are highly persecuted, they have a very high position with God. The Christians are the elect of God. I used to see bumper stickers about 15 years ago, more than I see them now, but it says, elect Jesus Christ as Lord of your life. You become the elect when you elect Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. It is the Holy Spirit that draws everyone to salvation, but we're drawn to a decision to receive or reject Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. God is not a fatalist. God has not made anyone for destruction. And there are those Christians here. Is out of this world. They are the elect of God. Know that whatever you go through, you are still the elect of God. You are still a child of God and He has allowed whatever to come about. But, but what we see by the names given here, God is saying in our suffering, know that you're saved. Know that you're going to heaven. As in meditate on that, think about that, the experience of that. He not only calls them the elect, but you see a phrase in here. Through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience. Through suffering, 
They are still set apart for God. Christians are set apart from this world to live for the glory of God. The Holy Spirit's address on this earth is you. He doesn't dwell in a building made with hands. He dwells in a believer. You're His address. You are where the Holy Spirit takes up residence. And He is leading to set us apart. He is leading us to obey the things of God rather than the things of the flesh on this earth. The unsaved can't do that. But the child of God, the stranger, the elect can be set apart. The Christian is made to be holy, pure, and righteous. The unsaved cannot be that. But that is what you and I are as being sanctified by the Holy Spirit. The unsaved are in opposition to God, but the saved are those who are obedient to God. Those who can be obedient to God. We are set apart for God, and it's something the unsaved can't do. But not only do we see that there is the sanctification of the Spirit that they are reminded of as a saved person, as someone going to heaven, but they are sprinkled by the blood of Jesus Christ. They are covered by the blood of Jesus. Stop and think about that next time suffering is coming our way. That, that none of us have striven unto blood, but Jesus Christ has. And we have been sprinkled by the blood of Jesus. That word sprinkled means cleansed. It means a cleaning. It means a cleansing. We have been cleansed of all of our transgressions by the blood of Jesus Christ. We are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. Romans 3.25 speaks of having faith in His blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus can save our soul. This is all my righteousness, we sing. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. It will wash anyone white as snow. Anyone who will come to Jesus, He will wash them by His blood. He shed His blood one time, once for all. The blood of bulls and goats, it was shed annually. It was annually just for a covering for sins. And it was a shadow of what was to come in the precious Lamb of God that was shed for many, but His blood was shed for all of us, and it's the only thing that satisfies. It's the only thing that will cleanse a person, not their own deeds, not any religious experience, not any church experience, but only the blood of Jesus. It makes us white as snow. They are suffering, these Christians are, but they are spotless in the sight of God. They are spotless because of the blood of Jesus. Jesus, this is the encouragement. This is the remedy to the sufferer. But not only are they covered by the sprinkling of the blood, but so often mentioned in the opening salutations or the closing salutations are these wonderful heavenly gifts of grace and peace. Grace and peace in the life of of a believer, the favor of God, His grace, 
and the fruit of the Spirit, His peace. You could say that peace is the fruit of grace also. Tranquility in our troubles. That's what is given to us. The peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds, shall guard you and I this tranquility of God that He gives to every believer. There is grace and there is peace for all Christians. There is enough grace and peace to help those in a time of suffering that they are going through. It's Grace and peace can be harder to explain than to experience. Grace and peace is not hard to experience. You know you are not experiencing anything of a positive attitude that's coming from you when you are overwhelmed with the grace and peace of God. What He gives to us from heaven, these heavenly gifts, they keep us, they keep us stable. Grace and peace keeps us sustained. It gives us strength. Every Christian has grace and peace and has access to more grace and peace. Access to all we could ever need. It's unlimited. You know, grace is greater than all our sins. The grace and peace of God is greater than all of our suffering. All that we go through. As, as we talked about the emotional outbreaks that must be going on in these Christians that have been scattered abroad, the anxiety, the concern, the fear that they are going through, that, that's a lot, but there's more grace and peace. There's more grace and peace than they need. The winning effect in their life does not have to be the fear that they are going through. It can be the grace and the peace of God. The three Hebrew children, they were cast into the fire because they refused, they refused to bow down and worship a false God. And they said, our God is able to deliver us. And even if He doesn't, we are not going to bow down and to worship your God. They were able to stand strong in the grace and peace of God knowing that they would be taken care of. It's stable. It will sustain you and I. This grace and peace, notice it says, may it be multiplied unto you. We can have as much of it as we want. The aspects of grace and peace and the effects of it should be more persuading in their life than the fear and anxiety of the persecution and the problems that they are going through. There's help. There's help for the child of God. Know that you're saved and know that you're going to heaven because there is help for you. Meditate on who you are and what you have. But not only can we know that we're going to heaven in a time of suffering that's going to help us, but know your hope. Know your hope. Verses 3 through 5 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us 
again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. What a rich word for those going through suffering here. And you notice in verse 3, the hope that is mentioned. We hear a lot about hope in this world. We hear a lot about somebody really, 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 really wanting something. And maybe it will happen. But when we talk about our hope as a Christian, we're talking about a confident expectation of things to come, knowing that they're coming, knowing that we have eternal life. We have the hope of life eternal and we have it now and we know that it's never going to end. We know that it's continual and it's active and it's affecting us and one day faith is going to be face to face with the Lord, we have a hope, a hope that is steadfast and sure. And you don't have to think about anything to do with yourself as far as having that hope, because it all starts with the mercy of God. And we see this in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His abundant mercy. We don't get what we deserve, but we get pity and we get compassion. And we not only get compassion, we have affection and we have the kindness of God. Before, before anything at all, God has mercy for us. We can have confidence in the hope that we have because of the mercy that He's given to you and us. But within this hope, we understand what we are. We're a new man. A new man. We see that also in verse 3. According to His abundant mercy, He hath begotten us again unto a lively, unto a lively hope. And that, that word lively means living. We're talking about a living hope. There's no hope without a new birth. There's no hope without a new birth. Without a new birth, it's a living horror. To be without hope in Jesus Christ. The Sadducees were in a terrible situation because they thought it was all about this life. And there was no hope for them. But you and I have a lively hope, a living hope given by God. We're, by His mercy, He makes us a new man because of this lively hope. We've been regenerated by the birth of the Holy Spirit giving us this living hope. And it's an undying power. I've heard people in this world Say, all my hopes and dreams went down the drain. All my hopes and dreams went up in smoke. All my hopes and dreams, they vanished. 
But we have a continual living hope that is never going to fade away. It has undying power. It's unlike the hope of this world. In Romans chapter 5, it talks about how patient worketh experience and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit which lives in you and I. And this hope that we have, it only comes by the Messiah. It only comes by Jesus Christ. He hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This living hope has already been manifested to you and I. Christ has already been raised from the dead. God wouldn't raise a lunatic. God wouldn't raise a liar. But He would raise a Lord. His Son, Jesus Christ, who said He was Lord, who was willing to die for our sins. There would be no reason for us to be here if Jesus weren't raised from the dead. Because He lives, we live. We have a hope in our living Lord. Job said, I know my Redeemer liveth. And that is some suffering that he was going through and he was holding on to hope. And the Lord is using Peter to tell Christians in the midst of their misery, in the midst of their starvation, in the midst of their hiding out for their life, that your hope is living. Your hope is alive. You have a lively hope in the Lord Jesus and it's all because of his mercy. And it makes us a new person. And it only comes by the Messiah. Verse 4 says, To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. There was a young lady who used to cut my hair. And man, she was a character. We would get into all these different conversations and she talked about some family up in Huntsville that she had. And and I was just trying to make conversation. I said, really, I have an aunt up in Huntsville. She's got a big ranch and everything. And and out of all of Huntsville, she thinks it just came to her mind. Which one was my aunt's? She said, does it have a white picket fence out front? And I said, actually, actually, yeah, it does. And she just knew that this place she was thinking of was my aunt's. I'm telling you, she was a character. And she just knew that ranch was going to be mine one day. Oh, I know your Aunt Betty's going to give you that ranch. And, you know, I'm, I'm talking about 1,200 acres. I'm talking about 12 lakes and about three or four houses and a couple of barns and cattle and the, the ponds are stocked and, and all this good stuff. And, you know, maybe that sounds good, but I'm kind of thinking about some maintenance on all of these things and a roof that would be needed and man what if some kind of what if the water got diseased and man there goes all my fishing they're 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 floating on the surface what what if what about my grass that I would need and need it for the cattle and you know all of this stuff could just could just go away and then so the thought of having Aunt Brett Betty's ranch I'm thinking you can keep it 
You know, you can keep that because that's going to fade away. That's going to diminish just like anything here. But as we think about a hope that you and I have, uh, the, the inheritance in this hope, it is incorruptible. In other words, it is undecaying. This hope that gives us an inheritance, it does not need any maintenance whatsoever. It is incorruptible. But not only that, it is undefiled. There, no infection can get into this inheritance and mess it up. This hope not only needs no maintenance, but this hope needs no medicine, you understand? And we also have within this inheritance that it fadeth not away. It's indestructible. It doesn't need a makeover as well, all right? And as we continue to think about this inheritance, it is reserved in heaven for you. It's already prepared. It's already preserved. It does not need any merit on your part or my part for this inheritance that we have in heaven. It is already ready for you and I. The curtain is ready to be pulled back to our inheritance. The Lord is not slack concerning His returning, but He's not willing that any should perish. You understand the reason why the Lord has hasn't come back, hasn't, doesn't have anything to do with what's prepared or not prepared in heaven. Everything is ready for you and I. He's just not willing that souls that are unsaved right now would go to hell. He's, he wants souls to be saved. Understand that he's not delaying because he's fixing up something for you and I in heaven. It is ready for you and I. It is ready to be delivered. It's ready to be presented to us. All that has been needed is mercy. Not from us, but from God. And God has abundant mercy for you and I. We are children and we have hope. Let us know our hope. It's sure. It's sure. Look at verse 5. Who are kept by the power of God through faith. This hope is sure because of a surrounding strength. There's a grocery store I used to go in often and the, the janitor came up to me real excited one time and said, I have a new broom, Kenneth, but I can't show it to you because it's in the janitor closet and I don't have the key to it. It's all locked up and I can't even get to it. And I thought about our eternal salvation in that. And I'm glad that I can't get to it to tamper with where it is. God keeps it for us. We're kept by the power of God. Our, our hope is sure because of a surrounding strength. The trusting heart is guarded by a heavenly host. There is courage and confidence for you and I to have in our time of temptation and our time of danger. This hope is sure, not only because of a surrounding strength, but by trust in the Savior. We are kept by the power of God through faith. There's this blockade that, that comes by believing, if you will. It is believing that we have this sure surrounding. And, and it's a sureness that comes by way of trust. We're kept by the power of God through faith. But also we're sure because it's already set up. 
It's ready to be revealed in the last time. The curtain is ready to be drawn. In our time of suffering, our word from God is know you're saved. And for anyone doubting that here tonight, while God is working on your heart, don't set that to the side. He's drawing you concerning the most serious thing in your life. But for the one who already knows they're saved, know you're saved in your time of suffering by meditating on your salvation. Meditating on the fact that you are a stranger. You are the elect of God. You are sanctified. You are covered with the blood of Jesus. Grace and peace be multiplied to you. On top and greater than any suffering that you could ever go through. It will take you through it. No matter how long it stays, it will take you through it. It will sustain you. You can stand strong in courage just considering who you are as a child of God and what He has done for you. But also, know your hope. I could list the religions. I could list the false gods. I could list the fact that they're dead. The fact that they're no more. The fact that anyone who believes in these false religions what they have that they keep alive in their mind, it dies when they die and nothing is there. But we have been begotten again unto a lively hope. It, our God is alive and he is, He's living and He's here with us. And He knows what we're going through. Know your hope that you have in Him. It will sustain you through all suffering. We're going to close and go to the Lord in a word of prayer now. And then I'm going to ask uh, teenage young men. I need you all uh, next door in the gym to help me out for just a few minutes. Uh, let us go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Father God in heaven, Lord, as we come before you tonight. Lord God, I, I thank you, Lord, for your blessings. I thank you for your word. Lord God, I pray that you have blessed your people with your truth. Uh, and dear God, through a time of suffering, their mind would go to a place where, where they're sustaining, where there's grace and peace, where there's mercy for the one in need. I thank you, Lord, for loving your people. I thank you, Lord, for a word for your people in the suffering we go through in this world. I thank you that suffering doesn't take us by surprise because you've told us to expect it in this world. But we can expect you to show up, Lord. We can expect that when we meditate on our hope, dear God, you take us through all things. We're more than conquerors through you, Lord, and all your love you have for us. We love you tonight. We thank you for loving us. Thank you for the blessings of being able to gather with your precious children. Thank you for the privilege of being the one to be able to share your word. Thank you for all and all they do here tonight in the children's ministries in Awana. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.